Welcome to the Shit Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Liz Broder. Are you ready to shoot the shit? Welcome back to another week and episode of Shit Talk. I'm Liz Broder. Thank you for joining me. Today's episode is all about the gut brain access, how the gut brain, how the gut talks to the brain, how the brain talks to the gut. So, starting off with some words of wisdom from my main squeeze, Hippocrates, and he said a hundred million years ago, "All disease begins in the gut." So clearly, he knew something that we're just sort of figuring out now. Shame on us, um, but. Very important topic, especially because we're all about shit talk here, the gut-brain access. And I know I've mentioned it a few times about how the gut speaks to the brain directly. Uh, But today I'm going to get into a brief overview of how this works and what this communication actually impacts. Please know it is a newer area of research, so there are so many avenues to go on or touch on. And I'm trying to limit my discussion to how the gut-brain access actually, how it actually works how stress in particular manifests both emotionally and physically. And again, there's just, there's so much to cover on this topic. So I'm doing my best to provide a concise and understandable explanation of only, you know, a minor aspect of the gut brain axis. There's more to talk about. There's more to say, but I'm trying to keep this shit talk focused. So let's go. What is the gut brain access? The gut brain access is a bi-directional, meaning it goes in both ways, communication network linking our enteric and central nervous systems. So the enteric nervous system, for those of you who don't know, it actually controls our GI tract. So this is involved with our stomach, our gut, and our intestines. So the gut brain access is a network that links our enteric and central nervous systems. It includes endocrine, metabolic, and immune routes of communication as well. Our gut is linked to our brain through the autonomic nervous system, the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis, which is called the HPA axis. That's how I'll be referring to it for the remainder of the episode. And also through nerves within the GI tract. So those are three main areas that link our gut to our brain. And these connections allow our brain to influence our intestines. And of course, going the other way allows our intestines or our gut to influence things in the brain like mood, cognition, and mental health. And researchers have found evidence suggesting that the gut microbiome or microbiota, I will use those interchangeably, greatly influence this gut-brain relationship, including things like our mental state, emotional regulation, neuromuscular function, and regulation of our HPA access. We have had more and more evidence in recent years showing that our gut microbiome plays a key role in influencing the development and function of the nervous system in its interactions with the gut-brain access, so much so that it's actually been suggested to not call it the gut-brain access, but to call it the microbiome gut-brain access. So I don't know if that puts things into perspective for you of the true impact and role that the microbiome plays on this gut-brain access, but just a little bit of trivia. Moving on, research continues to explain and support the effects of our gut, both directly and indirectly, on emotional and cognitive centers of the brain, and has demonstrated that changes in our gut microbiota are linked to changes within these systems of communication. For example, mood disorders like anxiety and depression and things like autism have well-established links to functional GI disruptions and GI diseases like IBS, which is irritable bowel syndrome, and IBD, which is inflammatory bowel disease, often involve a psychological component that's associated with an alteration in our gut's microbiome. In fact, 
mood disorders affect more than half of all patients with IBS, and we see antidepressants being one of the most common pharmaceutical interventions for irritable bowel syndrome because of this. It's also important to mention that our gut's microbiota is responsible for making about 95% of the body's serotonin. So for those of you who don't know, serotonin is a neurotransmitter that helps regulate our mood. It also contributes to our stress response. Low levels of serotonin have been shown to be associated with depression. Serotonin is known as our feel-good hormone and a natural mood booster. And to clarify, it's not a hormone, it's a neurotransmitter, but it does oftentimes act like a hormone in the body, which is why it has that nickname, the feel-good hormone. And to further put things into perspective for you about serotonin, for those of you who are unfamiliar, the most commonly used antidepressants are called SSRIs, and that stands for Selective Serotonin Reuptake Inhibitors. They work by actually increasing serotonin levels in the brain. So I hope that puts into perspective the, the role that serotonin plays on mood and in the brain. And this is why I'm mentioning that our gut bacteria manufactures about 95% of our body's supply serotonin. If your gut microbiota is out of balance or out of whack, you know that's impacting serotonin levels and low levels of serotonin, as we know, are associated with depression. They're also associated with things like poor sleep and anxiety. So get your gut straight, get your serotonin straight, get your mood right. Do you see the connection here? It's also fascinating to keep in mind that our enteric nervous system and central nervous systems have commonalities that link them like the fact that many neurotransmitters such as serotonin and signaling pathways are common to both of these systems. And this is why the pathophysiology of many processes in central nervous system diseases often have these enteric manifestations, meaning manifestations in the gut and intestinal health. They're connected. There's a lot of things that the enteric nervous system and the central nervous system have in common, for example, neurotransmitters and signaling pathways. And this is why a lot of times when someone has a disease that is central nervous system related, it actually will also manifest itself in the gut, in intestinal health, or like we said previously, in enteric, in the enteric nervous system. Now moving on to our gut and immunity. So this is another tidbit I found really interesting. Did you know that the gut itself is an important immune organ that actually forms a vital defense barrier between external pathogens and our internal biological environment? The gut-associated lymphoid tissues altogether form the largest immune organ of the body containing over 70% of the total immune system. So you could see how a poor gut can lead to poor immunity, just given that 70% of it is actually gut-related. In addition, um, like I don't know if you remember from our sugar episode a few weeks ago, but there are other things gut-related that impact our immune system, like sugar killing off bacteria that then kills off the Th17 immune cells. So the gut helping to form 70% of the total immune system is one major reason why gut health and immunity are related. And then one of, I'm sure, many other examples, the TH17 immune cells that pretty much get wiped out when our diet is poor, like eating something like sugar, obviously also impacts the gut, the gut's microbiota when those bacteria are wiped out and of course impacts immunity. So the link between our gut and immunity is clearer than ever, and our gut microbiota are now known to have a crucial role in the development and functionality of our actual immune responses. And the gut microbiota can actually affect the immune system directly via activation of the vagus nerve, in turn triggering that bidirectional communication 
with our central nervous system. Also, indirect effects of the gut microbiota on the innate immune system can result in alterations in the circulating levels of pro-inflammatory and anti-inflammatory cytokines that directly affect brain function. So long story short, our gut microbiome can indirectly impact our immune systems, which can affect pro-inflammatory and anti-inflammatory cytokines that directly impact brain function. There's that inflammation again. Don't for one second think that gut microbiota doesn't have its fucking tentacles everywhere. One wrong move and you're inflamed. Ideally, we're having the anti-inflammatory response, but if it's something creating inflammation, you're creating those pro-inflammatory cytokines and it directly affects the brain. So I'm not trying to scare you, but maybe be a little scared. (laughs) If you don't know to be scared, you're not going to be scared. If you're in tune enough that this scares you a little because you're seeing how easily inflammation is caused and how the gut impacts everything, then clearly you're in tune and, and you'll you'll be a little bit more aware of it. But I always crack up about the people that maybe should be scared of things and don't know to be, uh, to be completely ignorant. Okay, moving on to stress. Gut microbiota impacts both the programming of the HPA access early in life, as well as our stress reactivity over the entire lifespan. So the stress response system is, as many things, functionally immature at birth and continues to develop throughout the postnatal period. This period is a heavy developmental period coinciding with the growth and buildup of our intestinal bacteria. So studies using maternal separation in rats show that neonatal stress leads to a long-term change or long-term changes in the diversity and composition of gut microbiota. And this change may contribute to long-term alterations in stress reactivity and stress-related behavior observed in these rats. So based on this, treatment with probiotics, aka supplements you can take with good bacteria, healthy bacteria that support the gut, So based on this, treatment with probiotics during the early stress period have been shown to normalize basal cortisol levels, which become elevated following this maternal separation. And I'm mentioning this because it shows a link between probiotics, like I mentioned, our supplements you can take that support healthy gut microbiota that's basically taking good bacteria. So this study showed a link between taking probiotics and decreasing stress levels by normalizing those cortisol levels. Cortisol cortisol is our stress hormone. And we saw separating rats from their mothers at birth that this increased cortisol, increased stress, and the probiotics helped normalize cortisol levels and reduce this stress. So basically when they had healthy gut bacteria and taking supplements to support their microbiome, it helped reduce the stress. Stress is known to increase intestinal permeability, which allows bacteria the opportunity to move across the intestinal mucosa, aka leave the gut, and directly come into contact with both our immune cells and the neuronal cells, uh, neuronal cells of the enteric nervous system. So this is basically a leaking of the gut. We literally call it leaky gut. <laughs> and this leaky gut creates the potential for the gut microbiota to influence our central nervous system through the immune system and the enteric nervous system in the presence of stress because when gut bacteria gets displaced, we get stressed, then the gut bacteria gets displaced, leaves the gut, and it comes into contact with immune cells and these neuronal cells. That means they have the opportunity to impact our immune response and our immune systems and our neuronal responses as well. We don't want this. We want everyone to stay where the hell they are, gut bacteria stay in the gut. We don't want anything leaking. Leaking leads to havoc. Stress causes leaking. So one way we know stress is bad, we obviously know it's bad for a million reasons, but stress can cause leaky gut, which then causes a thousand other issues. 
a recent study actually showed that pre-treating rats with probiotics, there's those healthy bacteria supplements again, showed pre-treating rats with probiotics reduced the intestinal permeability or the leaky gut that typically resulted from stress and also prevented the associated HPA hyperreactivity seen along with stress. So remember that HPA axis has a role in our stress response and becomes hyperreactive when we are stressed. So the probiotics helped reduce this hyperreactivity typically seen with stress. Stress in particular can significantly impact the microbiota gut-brain axis at all stages of life. Several more recent studies have actually implicated gut microbiota in many conditions, including, but not limited to, autism, anxiety, obesity, schizophrenia, Parkinson's disease, and Alzheimer's disease. More recent research has also helped make it clear that alterations in the gut-brain interactions are associated with gut inflammation, chronic abdominal pain syndromes, eating disorders, and that regulation of gut-brain axis function is associated with alterations in our stress response and behaviors. The high comorbidity between stress-related psychiatric symptoms like anxiety and GI disorders, including IBS and IBD, is just further evidence of the importance of this access in pathophysiology of a lot of these gut-related diseases. Now, why am I obsessed with stress and the gut? Well, in addition to altering the gut microbiota, composition, microbial diversity, et cetera, and disrupting the intestinal barrier, barrier like, we just, like we said, it causes leaky gut, chronic stress increases the circulating levels of inflammatory agents like lipopolysaccharides. I already did a little rant on inflammation earlier. Remember from a few weeks ago, inflammation, we don't want that. Inflammation is seen behind every fucking disease state. This is not a drill. We don't want inflammation. We don't want these lipopolysaccharides. Get lost, please. So stress directly and indirectly can lead to inflammation, can cause inflammation because it causes leaky gut, which just wreaks havoc. So summing it up, why the emphasis on stress? We all know stress is bad for us. I've mentioned our stress hormone, hormone, cortisol. It's important to remember that a stressed gut leads to a stressed mind and vice versa. Now what causes a stressed gut? Poor diet, lack of movement, emotional stress, systemic inflammation, alcohol usage, smoking, and basically an overall unhealthy lifestyle. The delicate balance between our gut microbiome and the development of psychopathologies is particularly interesting to dietitians like me, given how easily diet and lifestyle factors alter and impact the microbiome. So just remember, when you're feeding yourself, you're feeding your gut, you're feeding your brain, you're feeding your mood. It's not just, oh, this food tastes good. There's so much more impacted by every bite you take. The gut-brain axis is one of those chicken and egg situations. I find it can be kind of fun to think about, but also kind of frustrating because we don't necessarily have a definitive answer in every specific case. Does a stressed mind lead to a stressed gut and cause something like IBS or IBD? Or did my stressed out gut and bowel issues and, and intestinal issues that I perhaps was predisposed to, but did my gut issues then cause the gut to signal to the brain and lead to more stress? We're getting closer to these answers, but the point and takeaway is that they talk directly, so don't for one second underestimate the impact that your diet has on your brain and the role that stress plays in gut-related and GI-related diseases. And I'm happy to say for today, that was a mouthful, so I wanted to keep it short so that it was more easily digestible. Haha. <laughs> That's a wrap on the gut-brain access, or should we say the microbiome gut-brain access? Remember, a happy gut is a happy mind. Seriously. 
ways to keep your gut happy. If you don't feel like taking probiotics and you want to try food first, first off, fermented foods, cultured yogurt, sauerkraut, kimchi, kefir, kefir, kombucha, tempeh, those are some examples of fermented foods. Veggies and plants are going to provide fiber and fiber feeds this good bacteria. Fiber you can also get from chia seeds, whole grains, legumes. Fiber feed your gut. Aim for that 10 grams per meal for around 30 grams per day. And again, always important to mention, if you're increasing fiber, please make sure you're having adequate amounts of water or it can lead to constipation and that's not comfortable. This is why I'm such a nut about fiber. Fiber is not just helpful for poops and and softening stools and helping maintain regular bowel movements. It literally feeds your gut. It supports a healthy gut and it impacts your mood. So I personally see fiber and plant-based foods as my mood boosters. Those are my SSRIs. Um, If you take SSRIs, there's no shame in that. And some people do need them for whatever reason, and that's fine. If you don't need them, but you notice you have a low mood, Try that fiber. Let's get that gut into action. Jump start it. See how it goes once you actually cut out things like sugar and alcohol and white starches and increase fruits, veggies, fiber, whole grains. It's unbelievable the impacts fiber has. And there's a million and one, and I will do an episode just on fiber. But in this case, I'm talking about gut microbiota and feeding it. That's all fiber. So get your own homemade food SSRI. Um boost that fiber, boost that microbiota, which is then going to boost your serotonin, which is why I'm saying SSRIs. So I hope this makes sense to people. I would love any follow-up questions. I know this is a pretty hot topic these days in the wellness world, in the nutrition world, even the medical community. So please feel free to reach out and I'm going to start incorporating questions I've been getting from people into the weekly shows because I think other people probably have the same questions. So that's it for today on Shit Talk. I look forward to hearing from you and everyone have a good day.